Welcome to the Collections by Michelle Brown Show, a show about people living between the lines, standing boldly in the crosshairs of their intersectionality as they create change. This episode is brought to you in partnership with the Center for Peace Counseling and Holistic Healing Services. Collections by Michelle Brown. I'm your host, Michelle Brown. Each week, we'll be talking with people living between the lines, standing boldly in the crosshairs of their intersectionality, and creating change. Today, I'm joined by the president of Pride at Work Michigan, Cynthia Thornton. Although she's lived in different states and cities, Thornton calls Detroit home. She completed a paralegal program at Macomb County Community College, but after witnessing repeated acts of discrimination and abuses, she was drawn by her strong belief in basic fairness and humankind's obligation to itself to get involved in working for civil rights, especially for members of the LGBTQ community. She was especially motivated by the suicide of a young coworker who presented as lesbian. She was appointed to the Advisory Committee for Diversity and Hiring by Clinton Township's Board of Trustees. Later, she joined the Board of Advisors of LGBT Detroit and was one of the faces of the organization's print and billboard campaign, LGBT in the D. Currently, Cynthia serves as President of Pride at Work Michigan. Pride at Work Michigan is a local branch of a national nonprofit organization that represents LGBTQ union members and their allies and is officially recognized by the AFL-CIO. In May of this year, Thornton received the University of Michigan Dearborn's Rebel with a Cause Award for her exemplary demonstration of leadership and inspiration to young workers everywhere especially here in Michigan. Thornton believes that nothing's going to change without going through a political platform. So she works to build personal relationships while building understanding and acceptance. In 2016, she became active with the LGBTA Caucus of the Michigan Democratic Party. She organized the LGBTQ Caucus in the 14th District the first in a Michigan congressional district. She also organized the first LGBTQ committee in the Michigan Democratic Party's Black Caucus. Thornton is working to educate LGBTQ communities of color and others about the candidates in the upcoming elections, as well as getting out the vote. Her new enterprise, Say It Proud LGBTQ POC, recognizes the compounded daily concerns that exist for people whose lives are lived at the intersection of two or more marginalized characteristics. Cynthia, welcome to Collections by Michelle Brown. How are you today? Well, thank thank you for um, inviting me and 
It's a good day. Absolutely. So, you know, I mean, to learn of a death, but particularly the suicide of a young coworker because they presented as lesbian, I mean, that had to have been incredibly traumatic for you. It's fair to say I've been scarred by it. Um, It was very clear to me when I heard about the suicide that um, it was, you know, 99.9% sure that it was because she was a young lesbian working in a maximum security prison um, and all the things that one might think such an environment would be for a young woman. Mm -hmm. Now, I know that, you know, I was reading about it and it said that you had a strong belief in basic fairness and humankind's obligation to itself to get involved in working for civil rights. Was that something you witnessed in your family growing up and in the community? My family would say I've just always been that person. Um, I was the kid um, who, if I saw boys picking on girls on the playground, I would intervene. Um, so I don't, I can't say that I can relate it specifically to someone in my family or something that I was told. Um, for me, it's, it's pretty much like I was born that way. It's something that I'm hardwired for. Mm-hmm. And being born that way, I mean, you know, many people, I mean, we, there are many people in the LGBTQ community who talks about being part of the civil rights movement, but was it just that incident of seeing the young co- learning about the young co-worker committing suicide that propelled you from being about civil rights to being about civil rights, particularly LGBTQ rights? No, really, I kind of came out into LGBT rights, meaning that I came out in the early 80s in the age of AIDS. And so the unfairness, the hostility, the discrimination that was taking place around those issues, I was living it, or at least my community was living it as I was coming out into that community. And because, as I say, I feel like I was hardwired um, to be an advocate for weak, for weaker persons or less able persons that <clears throat> I never was in the closet, so I felt the need to join and be out and be visible and talk about these issues, even though as a lesbian, um, arguably I was not being as impacted as our male uh, cohorts. So it kind of started there for me, so in my early 20s, but by the time this coworker had committed suicide, I was still in my 20s. And mm-hmm. as life goes, as a, as a black woman um, who is now part of the gay community, I've experienced discrimination on many levels in different venues um, and have witnessed it with others. So some people are not sensitive to the issues. Um, Maybe it's because when I was young, I very much identified with the fact that I happened not to be born at the time that John F. Kennedy was president. I actually was born on the day that Oswald was killed. Um, Mm. So maybe, you know, on some level I focused um, on civil rights more than others or sensitivities around those issues. Um, But my mother, you know, if you believe in this sort of thing, only told me a couple of years ago 
that I was in the womb when she marched in Detroit when King was here. So, Mm. you know, I don't know if there's a connection there. At the time, I thought, wow, that might mean a lot about why I am. That might mean how I am. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. But um, so as I look back over my life, um, and actually it was at the funeral of another young woman who had committed suicide that um, friends told me and reminded me that, yeah, remember when this happened and you did that? Um, so, again, I have to think God does what God does, um, and we all have our strengths, our weaknesses, our skill sets that are built towards um, whatever our mission is. And I, as I said, I think I was born with this skill set and that I'm putting it to the best use um, that I could possibly be. Um, and it's, this work is the closest thing that I could ever relate to a calling. Mm-hmm. Now, I know that when you were on the advisory committee for diversity and hiring in Clinton Township, now you go, you step in there, I mean, because you are, although you're lesbian, you're also a black woman. Did you find that in that role, as you're looking at hiring, that you found like, okay, this is wrong, but this is wrong, and how did you balance that? And when you went into it, were they looking to have you bring in saying like, oh, well, we've got a black person, or did they recognize that you were bringing all of that to the table? They were looking for people who were willing to serve. There was um, resistance to the committee ever being formed, but the um, municipality, or the, actually it was a county, had had a history of discrimination, um, some very significant issues that were pretty blatant in their hiring practices, and it had just gotten to the point where it was in the paper, um, and they decided we want to be proactive. We as Clinton Township want to be proactive. We want the public to be involved to help us to um, become more representative and inclusive. So they only knew that they had people that were willing to serve, and obviously they were looking at a black woman. As time mm-hmm. went on, um, I can't say that I ever went in there and declared that I was also a lesbian. I didn't come in wearing a rainbow flag. I came in as a citizen addressing issues across a scale. And at the time, the issue was really race and sex, young men of color, um, and the issues around the police and their fear of the police. So I did not see at that point a need to interject an issue that was not um, in play at the time, so we focused on those issues. Um, since that time, obviously, it, it, or maybe not so obviously, but I'm out everywhere. I was out at the time, um, but did, like I said, did not declare it in that space. I didn't see that it was relevant at that time. People say, oh, well, we've come a long way, but maybe not so much. <laughs> yeah. uh, and now, as you're out in both ways, knowing that members of the LGBTQ community don't really have protections in the workplace, and you see that African Americans are still subject to discrimination. Looking back, I mean, from your time there, have you seen progress, or, or what? How do you see that intersectionality working in hiring and employment discrimination? Stopping that. 
Well, the thing about stopping discrimination is the higher-ups have to want to stop it. Um, mm-hmm. Workplaces tend to take on the personality and desires of those above, and those above will typically make sure that those below follow their lead. If they are bigoted in their thinking and therefore do not want to have an inclusive workforce, they will not necessarily tell their subordinates that explicitly, but they will make their desires known and the pattern will follow. Um, There was a particular employer that existed in a primarily white environment, though there were people of color around, and the way that they subtly enforced their exclusionary environment was to have a temp agency even further north than they were so that the pool of employees was most likely going to be all white or mostly white. And so when they went from temp to hire, they were hiring in the temps who were white. And so Mm. it perpetuated that um, all white environment. But they could claim that their hiring was neutral. So unless someone came in, did an analysis, and pushed the issue because the whole time, of course, they're saying, no, no, that's not true. We have neutral practices. We're an equal employment opportunity employer, um, which most employers say that on all their documentations. But what they do is very different. And many people just will not pursue it. They fear discrimination of various kinds. Some of them fear physical harm, uh, all types of retribution. So, yes, there has been improvement, but only for those places that truly want to improve. Yeah, you know, because often studies have shown, like you said, everyone has an EEOC thing, and they might have it on the books. They're in the boardroom. They say, oh, well, we've, we've passed all these policies, but if you don't push it down to where it's happening on the workplace floor and you turn a blind eye to discrimination or practices that discriminate, then, you know, all it is is words on a piece of paper. Yes, and it's more than turning a blind eye. It's actually Mm -hmm. perpetuating it under the Mm -hmm. guise of being an equal opportunity employer. So, you know, there's a lot of talk these days about um, implicit bias. And -hmm. for sure, there is implicit bias. There are things that people don't realize about themselves. Um, But what bothers me is that we have pretty much taken explicit bias off the table as if that doesn't exist, when in Mm -hmm. fact what we have um, is people who are more educated, more slick in their approach, and oftentimes they can simply outlast someone who's been discriminated against because they have the money. It takes mm-hmm. money to enforce your rights. It takes money to hire an attorney. And marginalized people often do not have um, high incomes, so their ability to hire an attorney privately is limited. When you look at the civil rights agencies, sure enough, on paper, some people are protected, or some, I should say some bases are protected because all people are protected as long as a protected basis is cited. But again, now, now we're talking funding, we're talking staffing, and we're talking about laws that have not kept pace with the various strategies 
that employers and others use to get around the laws. So it's not as simple as it seems. Um, and it, this is why it continues, because all someone has to do is say, no, that's not true. The burden of proof is on the claimant, and oftentimes if you're relying on testimony from others, they may not be willing to speak up because they're afraid of being fired. Some people feel as long as they're messing with you, they're not messing with me. Mm-hmm. So there, there really is a need for solidarity as not only as a people based on race, a people based on LGBT status, but I would argue as working people. Um, and that is where uh, pride at work comes into play um, for me. It, it recognizes, although it is a union organization, it actually mm-hmm. is to the benefit of all workers as unions are. Before we go, go into private work, okay, you're out. I mean, I, you don't you don't out. try to hide it. You live you live very authentically, and you're out. And I know that you know when you live out, there are levels of it. You went as far as you know. You let your face be up there on the on the on uh, LGBT Detroit. They have LGBT and the D. And I know that there are many people who will say, well, I'm out. And I mean, even to the point where if you say, well, you know, would you want to be on even this program where, which all intents and purposes, only LGBTQ and allies. So although we're not always talking about gay issues, we're talking about gay people living their lives. And people go, oh, I'm not that out. Or, but here, you know, if you were to say to many people, even to be in between the lines, you know, don't put my picture in between the lines. You said, okay, I'm out, I'm here, I'm doing this work, I'm going to be up there on this billboard. What impact did that visibility have? And when you first saw yourself up there, what was your feeling? Like most human beings, it was kind of like, man, I should have dried my face. It was hotter than July, and I was sweating all over the place. So, Mm -hmm. you know, fortunately, because I was accepted by my family after the initial, what, Um, by my Mm -hmm. mother, who now is a very strong advocate. So I didn't didn't have any of that, oh, my God, everybody's going to know. Everybody already knows. The, The point of me being as out as I am, you know, to go back to the Clinton Township thing, Though I was out with my family, out with my friends, you know, out, 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 sometimes things become a distraction. And so I don't go everywhere, at least at that time, I did not go everywhere screaming, I'm here, I'm queer, get used to it. I chose when I needed to vocally declare or visibly declare, though I was out. It's sort of like going Mm -hmm. everywhere and saying, yes, I'm a woman, yes, I'm a woman, yes, this is how old I am. Now I am purposefully out everywhere and announce it or wear something because I need for other LGBT people to see that it's okay. So I'm like a walking billboard to authenticity. Be who you are, hold your head high, and give people the opportunity to get to know you and respect you. If you're hiding, they will never have that chance. And so, as, as one long-term person said, it's not like you're hiding it. 
and we love you. You've always been who you are. Um, and this was just by way of talking about the work that I was doing and not understanding that everybody is not in my position. How important did you feel the visibility, the importance of having those billboards around Detroit was? How important did you feel that was? That you said, you know, I wish I had wiped a sweat off, but it's important that we're up here. Absolutely. I, I mean, I can't take credit for that campaign at all other than I was asked to participate and said yes. But the idea, which came from LGBT Detroit or KIC at the time and members of KIC, employees there, it was great. I, I wish it was something that we could repeat um, because it is important that we're seen, especially as people of color, that we, uh, for some people we're like this mythical unicorn and we don't really exist. But when mm -hmm. you see, I think it was 10 to 12 black people on a billboard who were all essentially declaring that they were part of the queer community, that said something. And, you know, I, I sent friends there. My mother went down there, took my nephew. They took a picture. So it was something to be proud of that you were standing in your truth and that other people be able to see that that is something that they could aspire to, that they could do this also. Now, you know, often, and I don't know how it happened, to where our, our black community somehow or other feels that we turned in our black card be to become gay, you know, but we are still there, and we're still there in our community, and often you hear churches, you know, some of these churches who have very anti-gay rhetoric so always want to paint it as, well, that's not us, or uh, picture it as being like a fluent white gay man, you know, but it's not us. So here you are, as you go, now you're working in other areas, but as you go into our communities, has it opened doorways into our communities? Have there been places where you have gone and spoke, um, like at a church, at a community center, places where in the past might not have been as welcoming to you, but now they're saying like, yeah, she's, she's ours as a black sister. This is ours. Come on in here, sis. We need to hear your voice. And I'm thinking particularly at the 14th Congressional District, you know, how did that happen? I mean, did you, because I have been prior to that, I mean, there have been some, and I have heard one or two people make a comment, and for the most part, not everybody, but apparently, you know, every now and then you'll hear somebody who will make a comment like, oh, well, that's not us, and we don't know if we want to go there. But not only did you show up, but now there's an LG, you know, you're on the executive board. What was that like? How did that feel? Did it feel like, you know, yeah, these are my peeps. I'm here. Not only am I part of the 14th Congressional District, which is big, but as an African-American. Well, I'll, I'll start with the churches first. Um, I've spoken a couple times at Central Methodist. I was invited to speak there as the president of Pride and Work Michigan, so they were acknowledging that, yes, this is a lesbian. This is a lesbian organization, and we want her here. We want her to represent this community, and we want the other people here to see her and hear her. And I can tell you that in both of those occasions that there was much support in that space. There were people there who are of the community, some in, some out, Others were allies and family members, coworkers. Um, and the more that we are present, 
the more that we are recognized as, hey, I know that person, she's all right. The more that people click with that, the less they other us and the more that they get it, the more that we stay in that opportunity to become just a human community. As relates to the 14th, I didn't just come in with a flag yelling, we need LGBT representation. I became a precinct delegate. And when my ballot got messed up, I went to the chair and expressed to him that I was interested in being appointed. And after I came to meetings, they saw I was serious. They knew about me from other venues, from my work with Say It Proud, and they basically said, yeah, you know, she's for real. I came, I learned, and I saw that in the weeks and months that I was there, Never once did I hear anything about LGBT issues, though they were ongoing, so that I raised the issue and uh, the chair said, what would you like to do? I agree. We need to, we need to be inclusive and have everybody present. What would you like to do? And it went from there. So he was very mm-hmm. supportive, as was the congresswoman. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, the congresswoman, I mean, shortly after she became mayor of Southfield, that she welcomed the community and, you know, made sure that everyone knew that under her watch, everyone was welcome. And I can recall uh, then it was Triangle Foundation had a town hall and she was there. She was right there. So, I mean, you know, the 14th Congressional District, if you go from where the buck stops, which is your representative, that about being inclusive recognizing and welcoming, that was it. But I thought that, you know, someone always has to step up and say, I'm ready to do the work. And you showed up and you did that. So I think that you are to be commended. And, and well, Cynthia, we're going to take a quick break here. And when we come back, I want to talk a little bit more about pride at work. So we will be right back. Okay. This episode of Collections by Michelle Brown is brought to you in partnership with the Center for Peace Counseling and Holistic Healing Services, bringing balance to your mind, body, and spirit. For more information or to schedule an appointment, visit the Center at www.thecenterforpeacellc.com. back here on Collections by Michelle Brown, and we're talking with Cynthia Thornton. Now, Cynthia, you're with Pride at Work, and it represents LGBTQ union members and their allies, and it's officially recognized by the AFL-CIO. People, we hear, you know, union membership is, is shrinking. We've had the Supreme Court do things that attack union membership. How important is that union membership? And roughly, how many people do you think are you rep- representing 
through Pride at Work, and how does Pride at Work work with union people? Well, the AFL-CIO is an umbrella organization for many of the unions around, and of course we're a union town. And mm-hmm. what they historically did, what they did was recognize that there are certain groups that are historically discriminated against, so people of color, um, women, LGBT, even veterans. And so there are, I think there's seven constituency groups, one for African Americans, one for Asian Pacific Islanders, for women, for tradespeople in general. So it, and it, what it does is give those groups the opportunity to organize together under the union umbrella to be able to educate labor at large um, and raise their level of sensitivity to the concerns that their members have because of this historic discrimination that unfortunately is ongoing for all of those groups and probably others that I did not name. People are notified about it. We hold meetings. We go to pride festivals. We contact the various unions to let them know that there's an active chapter. We hold various types of events. And it's really up to those members to take advantage of the resource as they would any other resource. Um, So people that are active members versus people that we actually represent is a very different thing because much like with the right to work situation, we have people who benefit from the bargaining and negotiations that unions do on behalf of employees. The problem is that they don't want to pay the dues that help support those negotiations, Mm -hmm. that help support um, members when they need representation. Um, And and that is kind of a universal thing, if you will, that it simply is what it is. We encourage people to do their part, to educate them about, I use the analogy of a business, that you drive past day after day, one day you, you want to stop and it's gone. And it's because it wasn't patronized. So if you do not pay to support a business or a service, it cannot sustain itself. And that is what is happening with the labor movement in general. Um, Those that are anti-labor basically want to starve us. If we have to represent people, which currently that is the current state of things, that we have to represent people who choose not to be members, who choose not to even be fee payers, meaning that if for some religious or ethical reason you decide that you don't want to be a member, but you support the cause of workers' rights, so you want to be a fee payer, you want to pay your way, they're not even required to do that, and many of them do not. So if that is sustained over a long enough period of time, again, the unions would be starved and unable to represent the interests of workers everywhere. And that would include pride at work. Pride at work within the union organization is particularly important at this phase because our visibility has risen so much around gay marriage and also around trans issues as well as trying to get the Elliott Larson Civil Rights Act amended. Um, And you may know that as activism rises as visibility rises, so does the pushback. So it's a, a potentially a very dangerous time for us because we do not currently have the protections under law, but we still are exposed to the discrimination that sometimes can jeopardize our lives.
Well, you know, especially, I mean, when you have this, I mean, I mean, it was just a couple of weeks ago when the Supreme Court ruled against, you know, basically, like you said, you know, as to who pays dues and, and doing that, which is, is really seen as a blow to union activities. But often the unions, I mean, and my mother was a, a union member, and I, and, and I know that it's often through that advocacy that as far as, like you said, protections for women, protections for people of color, and now for LGBTQ came from unions. And, you know, we have this sort of like very hostile environment where, you know, and now with the Supreme Court going like, well, you can say, well, you know, don't support them. You know, you don't have to pay if your union is going to, you know, pay your dues if they're going to support, you know, LGBT rights or all these other things that more than ever we need that organizing, those people who, who share this, wanting to, to move forward equality and justice. So how does pride at work? How do you see that, that challenge to the work that you do? How are you rising to that? I think that the, being involved in politics is crucial. So in mm-hmm. addition to forming the caucus in the 14th, the committee in the Black Caucus, um, the organization that I'm working on now is Say It Proud. And that will be explicitly and particularly around um, political issues to give us that exposure, to educate us more, to actually get us in the room because we've become accustomed to just staying home. Uh, Being in the closet, especially in this environment, people who thought about coming out are now rethinking that and other people are actually going back in. So Uh I'm going just the opposite. And most of the uh, candidates that I've talked to, in fact, all of them that I've actually spoken to, have been very encouraging and wanting to know where can I come and talk and, and, and where can I come if I have questions. So they get it, and that's a beautiful thing. But they wouldn't get it if we were not engaging them. So I'm taking it to the next step and saying, but they need to see the full rainbow, meaning black, brown, and everything in between, that we are, in fact, all of humankind. We exist in every color, shape, and size. Well, you know, one of the things that I thought, too, was interesting is that that there was a two-day Young Workers Conference, and most people think, oh, well, you know, young people, and they always want to say, you know, they don't stay at a job. They're not concerned about this and that, and they just keep moving around like that. But not only did there was a two-day worker, uh, young workers conference, they recognized you as part of being inspiring young workers everywhere. That they get it, you know, young people get it. They recognize that there's certain things that young workers need, certain rights certain equality, certain inclusion, and in doing that, you were able to present that in a way that they hear what you're saying. And so what do you say to people who sort of will say, well, you know, don't, nobody cares about that anymore. Young people are busy doing their thing, and young people are all out, so they just sort of accept that. What do you say then when you went before this group of young workers to talk about what needed to be done today? I would say that people need to get beyond the age limitations and mm-hmm. those stereotypes that we have in our mind. Um, 
there are some very chronologically young people who have studied unionism who are making it their business to take classes at Wayne State at the labor school or at U of M Dearborn at their labor studies program. The, the Young Workers Conference is one of a series, and at every one of those conferences, whether it be Black Men in Union, Michigan School for Women Workers, the leadership conferences, there are always young people there. I have yet to go to one where everyone was silver-haired or, or close to retirement. In fact, even the Young Workers Conference has people that are more mature, one might say, because they have not always been in a union position. So we actually have all age groups. But as to your point about millennials, they get a bad rap. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to say that they don't do things differently. They do. But they have minds of their own, ideas of their own, and a lot of energy, and they are willing to put it in place. What we as, you know, I'm now getting accustomed to being referred to as an elder, is we need to let them stand beside us and let them lead because they are the next phase, and we are not here to simply direct their steps. Everybody has a place, a skill, etc. And I got to tell you, I have had so much optimism from watching these young unionists who want to get out there, get it done, yell, scream, and really get it. They don't care what you look like. They don't care who you're dating. They support you if you are transitioning. They get it. They are about the people. They are about respecting each other and about dignity. And so we could learn from them for those of us who are stuck in a different way of thinking. No, I know that some of the people who I have been most inspired from, I mean, there's a um, a woman in New York, uh, Dr. Wilhelmina Perry, who's like in her 80s, and she regularly meets with people from, you know, like millennials to people her age and talks about how the ideals, the energy, they all feed off of each other. They learn from one another. She, like maybe she can give a historical perspective, but they have a new way of doing it. And together, they're fighting for change. And so are you seeing, is pride at work now? Do you have membership? How do you do that? I mean, is it intergenerational? Are you going into new places? You're, are, are you having people come to you, or does pride at work go to the workplace? It's all of the above. Um, <laughs> it, it really is. You know, I, I recently, well, I guess it's been a little over a year ago now, had someone who is an ally call me from many hours and miles away to put me on the phone with a gay man who was having issues in his workplace. And he, that man and I have spoken many times over the phone for many hours about his workplace concern. Other people have gone to the website. Maybe they've been at a conference. I've had somebody, a young woman, who wants to go into the trade. She identifies as queer, so she sent us a message and was asking if we happened to have anyone who was a member of IBEW, which is the electricians, who was a member that could maybe tell her what the environment might be like. And I was able to connect her with a female member who has been an IBEW and an electrician for many years. So it really is about wherever we happen to be, however they hear about us, and they reach out. 
or, or we happen to reach out and they reach back. So we don't have a situation where you can only come through this door. It's wide open. However mm-hmm. you come, you come. But um, we try to make ourselves visible and accessible. And so sometimes I find myself saying that my paying job is interfering with my social justice activity. <laughs> um, because quite frankly, I mean, this, this is what I need to be doing in terms of benefiting the world because I do think that we have an obligation to give back to humankind. Um, and so that, for me, is much more fulfilling than my day job. But obviously, mm-hmm. nobody's going to just pay for me to live, so I have to make it work. But, um, mm-hmm. yeah, we even um, from the um, article that was done with Between the Lines, I had someone reach out to me about that, and I'm glad I just said that because I need to call her. Um, but, yeah, it, it, it pretty much is wherever um, people might come up to me because I have on my Pride at Work shirt. And recently when I gave a speech at Michigan Pride in Lansing, that's exactly what happened. Um, I was the closing speaker, and afterwards a young man just came and threw himself in my arms, and I held him on the stairs um, while he, you know, composed himself. Um, but for him to see a queer woman um, standing there proud, speaking strong. And this is the feedback, these are the descriptions that people gave to me that I'm now repeating to you. So this is how they saw my speech. This is how they received it. And many of those people were unionists who came up and said, we were so glad to see a strong union presence and to hear a strong union message combined with our LGBT status. So those people would have been great candidates to either go online and join Pride at Work, visit the Facebook page, learn more about us, and get involved. And so sometimes that's how it goes. You're the unionist. You're the LGBTQ activist. But you're also this political person, and you're working with many candidates. You know, I've seen you at everything. You're working with different candidates, getting them on issues that affect everybody, which I would even say it's a parallel path where you're doing with the the Say It Proud LGBTQ POC. Okay. And that's people, for anyone who doesn't know, that's people of color. And, you know, often you'll hear people give us that pushback, particularly when one moment you're standing there and you're talking to everyone, but then when you start to talk about people of color, you get that pushback like, but, you know, but we all need it, but there is a difference. How do you respond to that? Or how do you, or one moment, go from being the person who's representing pride at work and representing everyone to being the person who's talking about, say it proud, LGBTQ people of color. How do you, you walk that walk? I experience one as a subset of the other as opposed to being diametric issues. So Pride at Work contains working people of all races, colors, etc. Say it proud is simply recognizing that within that subset we have a, a community that is further marginalized, not 
revolutionary. It's just applying it to the LGBT community. We already know vis-a-vis -vis Black Lives Matter, the NAACP, I mean, that was the whole point. The, the, at that time, it was colored people that were bearing the brunt. It never excluded people of other races, nationalities, etc. It was always inclusive of anybody who supported that mission. And the same thing with Say It Proud, LGBT, you know, say it proud. It is what it is. Use your voice. Be proud of who you are and speak your truth. LGBTQ, we know what that means. And as relates to people of color, when you exist at all those intersections, you're catching it from all different sides. And it is overbearing. Some days it's all you can mm -hmm. do is take your head off the pillow. Mm -hmm. And so this is a way of saying, I hear you, I see you, I know that about you. And I understand that the struggle is real. So it's acknowledging our truth and putting it out there for others who have eyes to see and ears to hear. Anybody who doesn't want to be involved, it's not a hostage situation. No <laughs> one should be involved with an organization that they don't believe in. But in terms of me expressing to them why I felt the need to be that explicit, it's because we are so invisible. Because within our own community, sometimes we have been rejected. As you pointed out earlier, that there are some places of color who simply deny that we exist or they have all these old beliefs about how we came to be gay by trans. Oh, we, something must have happened. I was born. That's mm -hmm. what happened. Mm -hmm. My parents are very straight. Um, nobody's going to say, well, yeah, she must. No, that it, that's not it. Um, so this is a way of having a place that is not in shame. As you're navigating all of this, do you put your POC hat on? When you're looking at and you're hearing, you know, you might be the, the way into the door, okay, um, with a candidate. They see that you're pride at work. And then as you're listening to them talk and you recognize that they're not seeing the entirety of the LGBTQ community, particularly that it's more than the people who are moving into Midtown, you know, um, that it's the people who live in the neighborhoods. How do you, at what point do you put on that POC hat and say, remind them of that LGBT and the D billboard? By showing up, um, the most recent thing that I did that I think probably brought that directly um, to the attention of some candidates was at the 13th Congressional District Forum. Now, I'm in the 14th, so these are mm -hmm. not my candidates, but my people are everywhere. And so I went to that forum wearing my Pride at Work shirt, and I asked, all of those candidates, what their relationship was with the LGBT community and what actions they would take to help the community achieve equality. And by being there, presenting as a woman, as a black woman, as a lesbian black woman, or presumably they wouldn't know for sure, this was not a white man, not a white woman, not something that we are accustomed to seeing, and that was the whole point. Because once you become accustomed to seeing me, and there are a number of them who have said, okay, we'll see you next time, 
So they know I'll be there. If not the next meeting, the one after that. And I want to expand that from you just seeing me to you seeing us. And as I've told several candidates at this point, when they come after the panel and they come and say, you know, I support your community, what I say to them is, I need you to say that whether I'm here or not. I need you to incorporate us into your conversations whether I'm in the audience or not. And so I don't leave it to chance. Um, and as these conversations grow, the opportunity to talk about how we're not all doing well. And I've had the conversation as, re as regards uh, trans women of color and the difficulty that they have finding um, meaningful employment and about the violence. So I've already started that um, and raised it. And I can, my point of having Say It Proud is that it be a continuing conversation, that it's not just something every two or four years when you're running for election or re-election, but to, again, establish ourselves as part of this community, um, as part of this citizenship. So I'm doing it. Others will join. People that showed up, we had a gubernatorial forum, a joint 13th and 14th last Monday. And it was great, absolutely great. I, if anybody got a picture of me, I was probably grinning from ear to ear because I was not the only black person in that room who was LGBT. And several of them stayed and talked to candidates afterwards, and I was just thrilled to hear them actually discussing LGBT issues and have, you know, one candidate in particular say, you know, that he looked forward to continuing that conversation and learning more and, and thank the person for the work that he's doing. I mean, that was just like, man, because somebody passed the cake, I was ready to celebrate. Um, and, but, but that's the start, but not the finish. Now, you talk about the start and the finish, and one of the things that you talk about that you're doing, um, not only are you talking about the candidates in the upcoming elections, but you're also talking about getting out to vote. And I'm going to tell you, since even before Barack Obama got elected, if I had a dollar for every time I told people, please come out and vote Supreme Court justices, and now we see what's happening, what and traditionally, I mean, they're already saying midterm elections, midterm elections, not so many people. Even the primaries that are coming out, you know, the number of people who aren't going to come out and, and vote even at the primaries, at school board elections. And part of the reason why we have this conservative bent is, is because they're able to bring out their base. They vote for everything from dog catcher up to the White House. We have not been able to do it, and in general, progressives. But then also, if you look at within the city of Detroit and under black communities, that often we don't come out and vote. How do you feel we can motivate, encourage not only LGBT African Americans and people of color, but also our African-American community to not only show up at these forums, because it's great that they're showing up at these forums and asking these questions, but to show up at the polls. we got to have the conversations. Uh, we'll talk about what the latest housewives are doing, what the sports teams are doing, but we're not necessarily talking about what, what's going on with our politics. And I believe that some people don't vote, and I believe it because people are telling me this, 
I don't know who to vote for. I don't know anything about these people. So I am starting the conversations. Um, hey, which, who, who are you looking at? And they might say, I don't even know who's running. And while that might sound strange to me, we talk a lot about meeting people where they are. Okay, you just told me where you are. So either I can chastise you for not knowing or I can run it down to you who's running and tell you a little bit about them based on my year of following them around at this point. And most people are like, okay, all right, you know, and they're listening and they're asking me questions and I'm giving them my perspective and I'm very clear that it's my perspective. I am calling, you know, this um, Friday, Saturday, actually I probably started last Wednesday. I started calling the pastors and, and messaging um, Facebook messaging them and asking them to remind their congregations that this past Monday was the last day to register. And I'm also setting up meetings with each of those churches. And when I say each, I'm talking about the LGBT ones, the, um, the, uh, for people of color in particular, because I'm one person. As this grows, that may be something that we do on a larger scale, but this is the first time, so I'm doing what I can manage. Um, so I've talked to the pastors, or I've left messages for them. Three of them I spoke to directly. They all were, we will make that announcement, and they all were open to me coming out um, so that the congregations could ask questions about the candidates. I've been posting on Facebook about the ones that I know about, and it, particularly the ones that have done something in their career that was pro-LGBT, as I want to highlight that. You need to know who has been actively out there for you. We also have more LGBT candidates running around the state than we've ever had. And that alone is bringing a face. In. I mean, I can vote for me? I mean, for, that's just absolutely fascinating for some people. And I get it. It's fascinating for me. Um, to know that, that there, there are so many of us out there running. Um, I will be doing some work at Ruth Ellis Center talking about voting in the upcoming week. Um, and so, I mean, there, there's everything that pops into my head that is typically what ends up happening. Um, if it pops in and it stays and it looks like it has legs, then I try and figure out a way to make it happen. Um, and the outgrowth of that is people are coming to me and then asking me questions. Um, so it, it's a, it feeds itself. If people know that you're interested, you know, they, they know that you've gotten some information, they take you seriously, um, then they will ask and you have the opportunity. Well, are there any, you know, and I hear what you're saying, but are there any, um, any ways, are there clergy coalitions because we have, I don't know how many LGBT churches are, three, right? But for the most part, many people who are queer still go to whatever church. Um, many people who have a background, particularly in the black community, uh, either they might be in a union or they grew up in a union family, are still going to black churches. So is there any type of a clergy coalition that's going to where they could open the door because I mean I could see you being at a church and reaching you know all your intersections not only as being an African-American being a union person being queer and taking this message to a broader audience using that clergy coalition as a doorway 
Is there any conversations like that to look at? One of my wish list activities is to go into black churches. I have absolutely had some black pastors who have identified themselves as being supportive of the community, and they have caught flack from some of the people in their congregation. So that is definitely um, a relationship that I want to build on and foster because, like many things, I believe that some of those people in those congregations are suppressing who they are, or at least there was this philosophy of, you know, love the person, hate the sin type of a thing, Mm -hmm. which, Mm -hmm. you know, I do not support that, but I can't tell other people how to live. I can support them and encourage them to be self-affirming. But in terms of the pastors themselves, when you're in a church where the pastor is affirming, that gives you that support whether you come out or not. The problem is the ones that sit there and preach you're on the express elevator to hell and you sit there. Um, That's a very unhealthy situation. And my feeling is this. God will get me if he wants to get me. I don't think he wants to get me. I think that he's giving me a slap on the butt and say, go on out there and fight. That's what I made you for. Okay. Well, we're going to take a second quick break. Um, And then I want to talk about what's next uh, with politics and more a little bit more about Fayette Prowse. So we'll be right back. Collections by Michelle Brown airs every Thursday at 7 p.m. You can subscribe now and listen to the podcast on Blog Talk Radio, iTunes, Stitcher, or SoundCloud. Be sure to like the Collections by Michelle Brown Facebook page and mark your calendar so you never miss an episode. back with Cynthia Thornton, who is not only part of Pride at Work, but she's kicking off Say It Proud LGBTQ POC. You know, it's great to see so many people who are running for office, and um, particularly queer people who are running for office, and we see them getting elected across the country, and by huge margins in some cases where people in some communities, it doesn't seem to bother them that they are queer. You know, I mean, I think uh, one example is my friend Andrea Jenkins, who is, um, has been a trans activist. She's a poet. She's in Minneapolis. Um, she's great when in Minneapolis, uh, she's on the city council and those who tried to like throw it up there, just shut it she shut it down by talking about what she was going to do for the community you know it's just it's just amazing and there's other people who are like that in other 
other cities. I've talked to people across the country. There's a woman who's running in Chicago. There's one in Oakland. There's a couple in, in Virginia who have gotten elected. Are you seeing these candidates, and I can think of a few of them who I know um, who are running, who are out, who are proud, um, are you seeing, as you're talking to them and you're, and you're going to these forums and you're hearing people talk to it, and also those who are affirming of our issues, are they getting support from the community? Are they getting pushback from the community? Have we evolved to that point to where we can look at someone and say, I hear what they're standing on, on the issues. I don't care if he's married to a man, if she's married to a woman if they're straight and have a gay child, or if they're straight, just plain old straight, but they support equality. Are you hearing that come across, that maybe there's a change happening here in Michigan? You know, they keep talking about the blue wave, but, I mean, is there a purple wave happening here in Michigan? There is definitely an openness that has been evolving over time. Um, I think... Uh, Dana Nessel's um, endorsement um, at the Democratic Convention just put that on gas here in Michigan, um, that people recognize that this could happen under circumstances that conventional wisdom would have said should never have happened. So people are feeling empowered. Um, the woman has a family. She has children. She has she works hard. So people are focused on that, um, whether it be her or others. So, yes, there is definitely a sense of, you know, I've heard some men say, that woman works hard and she's a fighter. They, and they didn't say even if she's a lesbian. There was no even if. There was no other consideration. It was she's a fighter. We need somebody who's going to fight for the people. And so I do find that there are more and more people coming around to that way of thinking. And when I conduct my trainings um, within the union space, that is what I encourage. We have common purpose. The reason for this organization is that common purpose, which is to make a living wage, to have benefits, to have dignity and respect in our workplaces, to be able to retire. Who I'm dating, who you're dating, how you do what you do is irrelevant to this commonality and what our solidarity is based around. So similarly in politics and in the community, what happens behind my front door and yours is your business. When we're out in public space and these common issues that we have, that's where our focus should be. Now, do we want everybody to be able to be who they are, be authentic, be accepted? That is the ideal. Until we can get there, we need to be able to respect individuality and respect people to make their own decisions for their own life. And I think that's where it starts. And as people get to know you within those parameters, the rest can, can grow from that. And that is what I'm getting from people through the conference, people who come up to me who, when I sat down at their table, you know, they distorted their faces. And you can pretty much read their mind, here comes this dyke sitting at my table. But by the time it was all said and done, it was like, you all right. You're good people. Mm -hmm. One of you say, things that, that it said about Say It Proud LGBTQ POC 
is about recognizing the compounded daily concerns that exist of people whose lives are lived at the intersection of two or more marginalized characteristics. And, and you know, and many people would say, I mean, there's poverty. I, I mean, you can be white and poor. You can be black and poor. I mean, you can be black and gay. You can, you know, so there's a lot of, of challenges that marginalize people. So do you see, what do you see long-term as the work of Say It Proud? I mean, I think that you talked about a lot of it, right, just a few minutes ago when you were talking about people looking at what are these common challenges and, and that we need to all come together to fight. But what do you see as after November? I mean, and I know that you're not going anywhere, but what do you see Say It Proud doing? Is it, you know, between now, 2018, 2020, and beyond? I see 2019 as the off season, which means there's the opportunity to educate at the basic level. I mean, we don't teach civics anymore. Thank you. There's we don't even have we don't even have what is schoolhouse rock on anymore. <laughs> I know, right? You have to pull it up on YouTube, and I'm mm -hmm. still just a bill. But I mean, that means <laughs> yeah, we could sing it together. We could a whole bunch of people, I'm sure, would join in. But I don't see it as something that goes dormant. I see it as going into another phase, and I think that phase mirrors what the party needs to be doing and what the districts need to be doing. Because what happens, you know, when we get into an election season, everybody wants to start this hard run, and usually we start running hard just before the election. But there's an opportunity, and this is the role or one of the roles of precinct delegates, to establish those relationships with your neighbors so you don't have to go anywhere. You go within your own block radius, you get to know your neighbors, there's politics happening every day. There's some law, some decision, some something that's going on with an elected official or with some permit or building or, or property trade-off that's going on that concerns us. But we don't necessarily have a forum to talk about that. My, my vision for it would be that even in the off-season that we continue those conversations and that we strategize about what we can do, writing campaigns, emails, calls when there's something that comes up. And the, the hottest thing that's going to be smoking for us is, is Elliot Larson going to be amended? That, is, that conversation is still live and, in fact, is being energized because now the Department of Civil Rights has received authorization from the Civil Rights Commission to investigate complaints that are based on sexual orientation and gender identity. This is going to fuel that conversation because while those complaints can be taken, it's still not, excuse me, it's still not unlawful. And that friction is going to come to a head. It's just a matter of time. So the question is, are we going to be caught by surprise and then say, what are we going to do now? Or are we preparing for it and talking about it now? Are we keeping abreast of the cases such as the McDonald's case uh, with the trans woman who uh, the Sugar Law Firm is representing her? Mm -hmm. Are we mm -hmm. keeping you know, track of those cases? Because there are more than that one. That's the one we heard about. 
That's the mm-hmm. one that got advertised. Um, but someone contacted Pride and Work to say that they had a friend working at a grocery store, a trans woman who was receiving similar abuses. The problem is nobody told me who she is. And when I reached back to try and, con- you know, can somebody tell me, can somebody put her in touch with me? So it may be that she's not wanting to go forward, which, of course, I have to respect. But the bottom line is there, there's no shortage of work to do. The question is, are we going to step to the challenge? And Say It Proud is going to be all about recruiting and encouraging people to be ready. Now, are you going to do, are you going to do any type of, training for people to run for office, and are you considering at one point in the future running for office? Because we do need some people who are at that level of the fight. I'm not ruling it out in terms of me running. It's it's not a primary objective because, quite frankly, nobody else is doing what I'm doing. There are other Mm -hmm. people willing to put their hat in the ring to run, but there's not necessarily people doing organizing at this level. So my concern would be if I go from being of organizing Say It Proud to running for whatever, does Say It Proud just die? Um, and that would be a decision that I'd have to, to you know, because people do ask, and they've actually been asking for a few years, mm-hmm. uh, which, which is, you know, very powerful and encouraging. Um, but as I once heard a mayor say, you're one voice among how many hundreds can you make a bigger difference as an individual? On one hand, I have a lot of things individually, but I just run. I go, I do, it pops in my head, I think it's good, I go. When you're in a group setting, you have to respect the group and the dynamics of that group. They both have their pluses. They both have their value. There's a role for both. Um, And so for me, the, the, the short answer is I simply don't know. In the, in the immediate short term, I'm putting together um, a forum before the um, primary on the 7th to once again bring some key candidates before the LGBT population, notably those of color, again, for the same reasons I said before. We, when I have gone into these spaces, just as when I was at the 14th, I didn't see me reflected back to me, and that was a concern that I needed for others that didn't necessarily have my experience, but had their own wearing a dark face, being a woman, transitioning. If you're not there to tell your story, it doesn't get told, and people can't mm-hmm. consider what they haven't heard. If they don't know, they won't know unless you tell them. No, because, you know, I mean, I think that there are many places that have candidate forums, but candidate forms to where you develop a candidate who's who's concerned and has an eye towards our issue and it's not about just running there and getting this position and you're not bringing something to the table and it seems like in your conversations and wearing your many hats you're identifying many of the things that are really relevant to our community our community as African Americans, our community as LGBTQ people of color, that these are really relevant and that there is an intersection to them and that together we can do it. So we need to have people who are ready to come to the table to do that. And so, I mean, I certainly see that um, 
it would behoove someone who's even considering running to sit down with you to to be a, engaged with Say It Proud to get that perspective so that they don't just show up. They show up with a, a blueprint towards action. For me, I recognize that my knowledge about the political process is in the very early phases. There are absolutely groups out there that conduct much more in-depth um, trainings about what's involved in running, what's involved in, you know, reaching across the aisle, as we often hear people talk about, and getting used to having heated, or at least conversations that could get heated, to make them productive. Because one of my issues is that we yell and scream, call names, and demonize each other. Mm-hmm. And once you get to that point, nobody's listening. Um, mm-hmm. Like we used to say, you're trying to cap on one another. Um, mm-hmm. and, if, and if that's all you're doing, you're wasting everybody's time. So we have to at least be open to the possibility that there is a way to reach someone who absolutely does not agree with our perspective. They agree to disagree, but then go beyond that to find how can we work together. Because, again, you find the things that you have in, that you have in common, which is improving life for Michiganders. So where can you go from there? Now, if you have someone who has ill intent, and I'm sure that we can all think of someone that we believe is simply here to manipulate circumstances to their advantage and they don't care about the negative impact it's going to have on others. Do those people exist? Yes, those people exist. How much air am I going to allow them to take out of my tires? As little as possible. Because i got to keep rolling and be productive. That's not where I'm going to spend my time. I'm going to look for the people who are sincere and don't know what they don't know. Mm. Those are people that are willing to learn whose hearts may be pure, but they don't know anything about gay people. They don't know anything about poor people. They're not gay. They've never been poor, and they've been isolated in the life that they've led. And all they've heard is the negative things that have been said about people by people who know other people who know nothing about them. That's, those are who I'm looking for. The people who don't know are open to learning, seem to have a good heart, and try and build with them. The others, you know, and, and that's a skill I think that we all have to learn as we grow up, that everybody's not worth our time, that we don't have to be apologetic about determining um, where we can be successful and trying to do that with people that are willing to work with us as opposed to beating our heads against the wall against, with people who could care whether we live or die, quite frankly. Mm-hmm that there are those who feel like we're expendable. And we, in this case, could mean women. It could mean people of color. It could be poor people. Because if you are someone who believes that working class people are no different than a rich, you use it till it breaks, you discard it, and you get another one. If that's your perspective of a worker, then there's not going to be a whole lot for me to talk about with that person. Mm-hmm. If you, on the other hand, are simply a businessman trying to be efficient, then I can make an argument with you that the people who know how to best run this job are the people that are doing it. They know the pitfalls. They know the pluses. They know where money can be saved. How about letting them 
express themselves to you, and then you evaluate the truth of that position. Somebody like that you can work with because they're just trying to run a good business, make a profit. And as long as they're not trying to put their workers on poverty row while they continue to make a profit, there's a foundation for us to build on. So you've got the primary that's coming, November elections. I mean, if people want to, first of all, if people are trying to catch up with you, what's the best way to contact you if they want to get involved with Say It Proud or learn more about Say It Proud? Where will they find you to support the questions you're asking candidates, to add their voice to those questions? What's the best way to contact Wonder Woman herself, Cynthia Thornton. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I am on Facebook, so they can look up Cynthia Thornton. And as some people have done, because they say it's easier to actually find me through Pride at Work Michigan, uh, something about how my name appears when you search for it. So worst case scenario, go to the Pride at Work Michigan page and shoot a messenger. I will get it. The um, email for Say It Proud is simply sayitproud at hotmail.com. You know, the basic old, old-time old phone number stuff, you can call 313-757-5413. It, it's all pretty simple. I'm, I'm not in hiding, that's for sure. No, you're, no, you're not. You're not <laughs> I said, if you look up and you see the Pride at Work t-shirt, that's Cynthia Thornton. <laughs> Stop and say hello. Yes, I need Stop a new supply. Say, all right, all right. Well, Cynthia, I hope that you're taking some time for self-care. Always busy people, you got to remember to do that. Uh, uh, we appreciate all that you're doing in the community. I know I see you everywhere. We've got an election that's coming. I hope people have heard the message that you've given today and show up. Show up at every election. Support Say It Proud. LGBTQ POC and even if you say well I'm not LGBTQ well guess what your neighbor might be <laughs> you know yeah and as you support your neighbors you support the community as you support each of us we support the community Cynthia thank you for your time today thank you Michelle I really appreciate it okay and um, I will see you I want to thank today's guest Pride at Work Michigan's president, Cynthia Thornton, who reminds us that nothing's going to change without going through a political platform. So register and vote. You can listen to this or past episodes of the show on SoundCloud, iTunes, Stitcher, or Blog Talk Radio. Be sure and like the Collections by Michelle Brown Facebook page And let us know if you have a suggestion for a guest or topic for a future show. Join us next week when I'll introduce you to another amazing individual living between the lines, standing boldly in the crosshairs of their intersectionality, and creating change right here on Collections by Michelle Brown. Thank you for listening.